welcome to St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Saratoga Springs, New York, where we are gathered by God to share the love of Jesus. This week, we take a closer look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and also learn about our current mission to serve, food for the poor. Here is this week's message from our special guest preacher, Bruce Rudolph. Grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. <laughs> It's 10.20. You're more awake than that. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. And also with you. Now I feel welcome to St. Paul's. Please be seated. I'm not going to make you stand for the whole sermon. How many of you are Long Islanders? Long Islanders? That, that piece of land that stretches out from New York City? No Flatlanders here? Well, Pastor Adam and I both are. And uh, the years that I was in Patchogue, he was a member of our church and uh, uh, growing up in the neighboring town. And there's news from that this past week, uh, which I thought was kind of relevant to what we'll be talking about today. Um, a bull got loose. Really, really, a bull. 1,500 pound, I guess, black Angus. He's really black, really dark. And uh, he got out of a farm somewhere between Mastig and Mariches, and he's running around. I don't know if they've caught him yet or not, but uh, he's out there and they're going after him with drones and with helicopters because they're afraid that being uh, 1,500 pounds and, and uh, this black bull starts across a road, a car might not see him. It'd be bad for the bull, it'd be bad for the car, and it'd be bad for the people in the car. But that's, that bull, that's Adam's territory. That's where he grew up, was out in Mastic. I thought it relevant also kind of in a stretchy way, uh, to what we're going to be talking about today as we continue this whole series on Ephesians uh, with Paul. He didn't have drones and helicopters sent out, but he was looking for the Gentiles. He was really going after them and really trying to make them feel a part of, of their whole uh, ministry of the church. I'd like to again read for you uh, words from our chapter 3 now of Ephesians chapter 3. It's interesting because we're doing this up at sunrise where I'm pastor also. And um, because these are the, the actual epistle, he changed the gospel in the Old Testament to fit with this particular lesson of the epistle. But the epistles are what we're doing for eight weeks in, uh, uh, during the summer. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, the Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In this chapter, he's continuing a thread. I, I never quite picked this up before. I spent some time, I guess either three or six years ago, spending time, I guess it was three years ago, uh, with Ephesians in this summer. But this thread really runs right on through from chapter one on. And he's, he's so enthusiastic about it. That's why I said he might be, if he could, he would have sent out drones and helicopters to find those Gentiles. He's so enthused about it. In chapter one, that whole reading from, I guess, verse 1 to 14 in Greek is one sentence. In English, it's probably three or four, but in Greek, it's one sentence. 
probably the longest sentence Paul ever wrote and quite possibly the longest sentence in the New Testament, maybe in the Bible. It's like a kid who comes home and he's filled with some exciting news and he can't keep it inside. He's bursting to get it out. And this and that, and then this happened, and then this happened. And it just keeps pouring out of him. And that's what Paul is like here. And in this chapter, he does the same thing. The very first verse is referring to himself as a prisoner for the Lord. The last verse is referring to himself as a prisoner for the Lord. Don't feel bad for me. In between is this parenthesis of all these things happening for the Gentiles. And he just can't get enough, the opportunity to to share it out there, this mystery. Now, I suspect you, you may have heard this before from Pastor Adam, but, but the, um, the mystery, that key word uh, in its original form seems to have had the battle strategy that a general would have. He knew the plan. He knew how he was going to go out. His officers knew part of the plan. His troops knew their assignment, but the general knew the whole plan. And the plan was before the foundation of the world. This is what really is amazing. Before the foundation, before there was a world, before there were people on the world, before there were, were people who had the veto power of not doing what he told them to do. Before any of that, he had already planned out this strategy to bring people back together again. It wasn't that he predestined them to sin, but he had foreknowledge. Kind of like the other day, I'm coming down uh, Route 87, we're going to meet to to get ready for the service today, and it came down 87. I hit, I guess, exit 18, and all of a sudden, these three lanes of traffic are going slower and slower and slower, and then it's two lanes of traffic, and, and, and then it's one lane of traffic. Now, this kid from Long Island, he's got the smarts to stay in the left lane, at least, and he kind of made it through a little bit quicker than everybody else, but nevertheless, boy, I, I had no knowledge that was going to happen. Cars coming the other way, could see me coming along, fat, dumb, and happy, speeding along at 65 miles an hour and, and heading up to something I did not know I was going to be facing. They knew it. They didn't cause it, but they knew it. They knew it. They had foreknowledge of it. Foreknowledge is not causing something. God knew what we were going to be like, and he made us anyway. He loved us and, and frankly, had to make us that way if he wanted the love that we would offer him to mean anything. I mean, if we were, were robots who couldn't sin, who couldn't veto, who couldn't do anything wrong. It would be like a mother who locks her son in the bedroom and then brags to the neighbors, my son loves me so much he never leaves the house. <laughs> no alternative. There's no alternative. God gave us the alternative to see if we would follow in freedom to love him and care for him. And he had this mystery that it wasn't going to just be Abraham and his family. It wasn't going to be just Moses and his followers. It wasn't just going to be King David and his kingdom. It was going to be all people. In fact, he gave a hint of that to Abraham. He said, by your seed, all nations of the world will be blessed. And then the readings that we had from Isaiah, what a beautiful reading that was, bringing together the whole idea of people out there coming. That's the mystery. He uses that word occasionally in different ways, so I'm going to take some liberty and use it in a little bit different ways too. It's an incredible mystery, for example, that we should be brought together into one organism, not an organization, but an organism. There are organizations, a wonderful organization. A lot of our folks up at Sunrise, they, they go to Rotary or there's a Lions Club or good organizations doing good things. This is more than that. Paul uses that word to say that we are a body, a living body with parts caring about each other so much 
that we will risk things to ourselves to protect other parts of the body. Kind of like if someone's throwing something at my head, I put my hand up. The hand is willing to take the abuse so that my head doesn't have to. Or, or different organs in the body that kind of muster up strength to fight an infection that comes along, or, or anything like that. The body is an organism, and that's what the church is intended to be. You, a part of that body. Another mystery. Back in 1996, uh, the year I was 30 years ordained, a, a young man in our congregation named Adam Wiegand uh, had completed seminary, and, and uh, I had the privilege of ordaining him that summer. It was quite a summer. And uh, now he became a member of the clergy. Well, in the church, I think we have the idea that there's a laity, and then there's a clergy, and then there are the district officers, and then there are the seminary professors. But it's the opposite way around. The seminary professors and the district officers are there to help the pastors who are there to help the priesthood of all believers, not the priesthood of some believers, the priesthood of all believers. If you're over 75, you're still a priest. If you're under 21, you're still a priest. You don't have to wait until you get to a certain age, and you don't get to say, okay, I did my part then, I don't have to do it anymore. If we're here and we were baptized, which is our ordination into the priesthood of all believers, we are a priest, each of us, a priest, a priesthood of all believers. Not some believers, all believers. People like me that get to be pastors, and it's been fun being one, I enjoy it. My job is to help you be better priests. Priests offer sacrifices. In a way, I'm here to ask you to make a sacrifice today. Why have we, of all people in the world, been so blessed? Why have we gotten to live in a country that has reasonable peace, relative justice, affluence? Why us? When the majority of people don't live that way. I, I, growing up, I always thought everybody lives like we do. No, they don't. Few people live like we do. Why? Why has God blessed us so richly? And what does that have to do for the mystery of being a priest in the body of Christ? I, uh, when I go out, uh, the years that I'm not, or the months that I'm not up at sunrise from June to December, uh, I, I'm kind of their pastor in absence, and I write the service, and Pastor Wagner goes up, and he conducts the service as well. Pastor Adam filled in one time as well. But while I'm not up there, when I sneak out like a snowbird and head south, I also then start going out for food for the poor. This is kind of an anomaly today to be here in the middle of the summer when I have my church up there. When I go out, most of the time, I fly out of Orlando Airport. What an occasion every Saturday morning is. You either have people coming in or people going out, and all the kids, thousands of kids, are dressed like Disney. Girls with Cinderella dresses on and, and funny hats and Mickey Mouse ears and toys that they're carrying. Parents, hundreds, thousands of dollars poorer than they were at the beginning of the week. Grandparents. And the grandparents or the parents get those kids and they put them on a plane and they head north or they head west back home. When they get home, they get in their car at the 
airport parking lot. They drive into their garage. They go to the door and unlock it. They open the door. They walk across the floor. They've been traveling a while. They're probably hungry. They go to the refrigerator for a snack. Or maybe they go to a different room because there's a certain urgency going on at this point. And they go to that other room, and there they have the benefit of a flush toilet and running water in the sink. And then maybe because they've been wearing the clothes and sitting in the plane, they want to change into something else. And so they go into their room, and in their room they find a closet. In that closet, lots of clothes to choose from, lots of shoes to choose from. I'm not even mentioning the televisions, because we all have more than one, or the computers, or the tablets, or the phones, or anything else. That's kind of how it is. But what, what if you were at the airport in Orlando, and you got on the wrong plane? That, that can happen. You can get on the wrong plane. I'm a perfect example of that. I got on the wrong plane in Cleveland one time, and only when I asked the fellow if he was anxious to get back to New York, and he said to me, I don't know about you, sir, but the rest of us are going to Virginia, that I, I realized I was on the wrong plane, and you never saw an old geezer like me run out of a plane so fast as I did that day. Don't close the door, let me out. Well, suppose a person in Orlando gets on the wrong plane, and this plane isn't going north and west, it's going south and east. And it's heading toward a, a wonderful, beautiful, tropical country. And you land in the airport at Port-au-Prince. And it's kind of always under some kind of construction and not particularly fancy or nice. And it's hot. And if you don't get driven to one of the few tourist opportunities that that country has, you go to a place where people are poor, where 40% of the people right now are in hunger crisis. And there you go to a house. And the house may or may not have a door. It certainly doesn't have a lock. And when you step inside, it isn't a floor, but dirt that you're stepping on. And if it's raining, the floor is getting, the dirt's getting muddy, and you'd look for a place where you can huddle away from where the holes in the roof are letting the rain come through. There's no refrigerator, and there'd be no food in the refrigerator if there were one. You need to go to the bathroom? Go outside. No water, no running water, no flush toilet. Any water that's there has been carried there, and there's a good chance it's been contaminated, and the people who might dare to drink it might get sick. There's some light in the house, but it's awfully dark. It comes through the cracks in the walls, or under the walls, between the wall and the dirt. Vermin, snakes, can come in and do. There's, there's no separate bedroom, and so, of course, there's no closet in that bedroom. And there are no clothes hanging there. Maybe one change of outfit, maybe. And of course, if you're a little baby, still in diapers, there are no diapers, so you're running around naked, and they do. And those parents and those grandparents love their children as much as those parents who spent thousands of dollars at Disney. I'm here today to help you, to help them. You have been blessed. Why has God blessed you? Why has he blessed me so richly? I'm blessed even compared to other ministers in many ways. Why? Is it not that we might be a blessing to others? 
You know the verse, you can say it with me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't hear you saying it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that, of course, comes from... I want to get you involved a little bit here. <laughs> First John 3.16, a little different. This is, it goes something like this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If he laid down his life for us, we should lay our lives down for one another. Body of Christ image again. We but he who has this world's goods and sees his neighbor in need and has no pity on him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and speech, but in deed and in truth. That description of the Haitian household was before the riots and the criminal action that's taken place recently in Haiti that resulted in the assassination of their president. It happened before Hurricane Elsa swept through in the beginning of July and knocked down some of those feeble houses. Happened before COVID now has tripled its numbers in Haiti in the last few months with no opportunity or rare opportunity for vaccinations. In some hospitals, the staff, 75 to 90% of the staff, have been taken ill with the virus and continue to try to help others. Would you help us help them? Food for the Poor, there are many wonderful charities, and, and uh, we support a number of them from our family. Food for the Poor is special in this case because it has been in Haiti since 1986, and it has, uh, is the largest current NGO working in Haiti. On the 4th of July, right after Elsa came through, they had the opportunity to get a, a convoy of trucks out from uh, our headquarters there to distribution centers so people could get fed that weren't feeding. United Nations claims 40% of the population of Haiti is, is hungry and in danger uh, of lack of food. We were able to get a convoy of trucks with police protection through the gangs and stuff that was out there. It was a quieter day, but it's a difficult situation. We had a Zoom meeting with speakers uh, that, like me around the country and also with a bishop down in Haiti. And as he said the closing prayer, you could hear gunshots outside his house. It's so difficult for them, and the ones who suffer the most are the poorest, and the children, and the very elderly. Would you help us help them? Sometime in the next two weeks, you may go out with some other folks and have a meal together. If, if you're a full family and you have some children with you, it's very easy. At a restaurant around here, the bill, when it finally comes, is going to be $100 or more. And you're feeding people who are well-fed and wouldn't miss that meal if they didn't have it. Would you help us help them? Would you help us make a difference? There's a brochure there in front of you uh, that you, you got. Uh, it says something about what we do as a, a ministry. There are um, uh, different things that can be done, the seven saves. One thing I really would ask that you would please do, because I'm going to look awfully bad at headquarters if you don't do it, uh, would you please put down the name of someone you're praying for that you would like us to pray for. There's a section, when you open it up all the way, there's a section right in the middle uh, where you can write down the name of someone you're praying for. And be sure that uh, you put that in the envelope and put the envelope in the, in the box in the back, the basket in the back where, where we're collecting these. 
But if you can, would you please make a difference today? This could be the most significant and important money you will spend this year, is changing another person's life. Would you help us help them? We are the body of Christ, all members of one body. These are, in many cases, our brother and sister Christians. They may look different like those Gentiles look different to Paul, but he couldn't help reaching out to them, trying to bring them in. I pray that we, blessed as we are, would make a difference for them as well. Would you ask the Lord how much you should do to help them? Thank you for the opportunity of being here. I really appreciate being a part of your congregation every once in a while. Um, I, I would ask that you take note on the address side of that envelope, there's a number. So I think a five-digit number, five or six digits. And that number corresponds with St. Paul Lutheran Church, Saratoga Springs. So if you are going to give a donation in the future and you're doing it online, try to use that number, or if you send a check-in, try to use that number somehow to get it in so that the credit comes back to your congregation as a mission offering, a mission offering that St. Paul offered that's past year. I thank you again for this opportunity and pray that God will bless and guide you in continued blessings. And the greatest blessing of all, I think, is the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, who blessed us so richly and does every day. Amen. The amazing peace of God, that peace that passes all our human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And would you, now that you are wide awake, give me a very loud amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church, please visit spalutheran.org. God's blessings to you. Go in peace and serve the Lord.